Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. Tech, 
in Waterbury on automotive technology. We'll see. That's quite an honor for those people to go. And the other programs are the New York Harvard School, and they're going to talk about marine biology research, and that's probably a very interesting school. And Toledo Technology Academy, and they have several graduates that are going to talk, and a, and a current student. So that should be very interesting. And they're going to also later on talk about labor management partnerships in manufacturing and construction, how they're helping to ensure a pipeline of highly skilled, highly productive workers and matching them to the new technology. So that's important. They're having somebody from the building trades union, electrical contractors. Um, then they're also going to talk about how education is necessary but not sufficient for healthy communities. The panel will look at the role of unions, business, and foundations in education, workforce, and economic development, and that's important. So there's going to be a lot going on at this, and hopefully they'll come out with a statement uh, after the, the meeting. So I, I think it's great that um, Connecticut has been pointed out as having an exemplary uh, technical school system. It's a model. So uh, I hope our state is proud of that. So that should be very interesting. We'll hear, maybe hear something about it afterwards. Maybe there will be an opening statement. We'll listen to uh, maybe Joe Biden's opening statement or Richard Trumka. So that should be interesting, and that's coming up. And as I said, um, uh, American um, unions honest, honor, have honored the legacy of veterans and active service members, so that's important. And unions do a lot to help vets. Um, they do fundraising. They make visits to veterans' homes. And um, I know that uh, Larry Dorman, who's the public affairs coordinator, goes down to the veterans' hospital with union members uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, he's done that every year. Uh, and also, um, I want to comment what union members are doing this week. I want to read a little more about that. That's, that's uh, um, an area that they're going to talk about every week. Um, this is the latest feature on the AFL-CIO union blog and uh, what what the labor movement is doing. The Actors Equity Association, what they're doing. I'm grateful to be an equity member, it says here, and see what our proud members had to say on Facebook. I'm not sure what they had to say. I don't have a Facebook thing. Um, but they're doing something. Um, the AS. Union has been ground zero for the obsession with standardized American Federation of Teachers. Um, they've spoken out against standardized testing, I guess. And they talk about the, the maybe that there's too much there's too much online, and that people should take action about it. And the American Federation of, of Musicians. Neil Patrick Harris, 
stakes out pro-union stand as a battle with WGA East and ITV heats up. And musicians want to get paid for their work. And very, very often they aren't paid enough or properly. And let's see what they have to say about that from the HollywoodReporter.com. But it's good that union people support each other. See if I can find out a little more. Declaring to his 11 million Twitter followers that his up-and-coming ITV NBC variety show will absolutely be crafted by union writers. After Neil Patrick Harris set down a seemingly definitive marker in what has long been a long and bitter struggle between WGA East and ITV Studios America over unionization of reality television. The credibility and likable image and the likable image of the frequent award show host now hang in the balance even as his 10-episode show, no title or premiere date announced as yet, has to take public shape. His tweet adds, I've been assured by ITV that it will be a WGA show, period. That message came in the wake of a warning from WGAE to ITV, first reported Monday by The Guardian, that WGA members will not write for the show absent a contract. Hard feelings run deep. Back in February, the, the WGAE blasted ITV for stealing an average $30,000 annually from each of its writers and producers by failing to pay overtime, even as the UK parents' company's profits surged 27% last year. So far, ITV and the union have not agreed on a contract and when the parties met on Monday to discuss Harris's show, the company took steps backward. Right now, Harris may have rearranged the board, turning the union fight into one between the host and production company. The Guild's battle began in 2010. It's being waged across a harsh fault line that divides traditional scripted entertainment, one of the few, few highly unionized segments of U.S. industry from the remainder of the national economy, where private sector union destiny has tumbled to just 7% of jobs. Against this stark backdrop, movies and scripted television are virtually always unionized in Hollywood, regarding writers, directors, actors, and most crew with VFX artists, composers, lyricists, PAs, and sometimes musicians as key exceptions, I guess. In those sectors, production companies usually sign agreements as a matter of course. But reality TV is different, and as ITV has sought to increase its presence in U.S. TV, such as by adapting its long-running U.K. variety show, Saturday Night Takeaway, now the basis for the untitled Harris show, the struggle over its uncrisp scripted, ununionized fare has become a test of the contours of labor's protection, benefits, and influence. So we'll see what happens with that. At least Harris has made a stand on that. He wants it to be unionized, and that's great. So there's a lot going on. Yeah. So... 
makes it very difficult for people. Coalition of Labor Union Women, Union Women and Feminist Movement are telling untold stories. Communication Workers of America, keeps jumping around. They're doing something too. See that the communication workers is turning its focus from elections to, to fighting against TPP and fast track trade authority. So that's important. And that's the Trans Pacific um, Trade Alliance. And I'm worried about that myself. Jobs with Justice, Washington, D.C.'s first Walmart, is already hoping, harming local businesses. I guess a lot of local businesses are closing in D.C. because Walmart has opened up. So that's always a problem. So there's a lot going on. And also... You know, you got to make sure that you protect the U.S. Post Office. I'm not too wild about having post offices and staples stores selling stamps and I don't know what no, else they the do. Post, the postal stuff. They're not, they're not postal workers. That's and they're not getting paid postal workers' money. Postal workers should be in there. And nothing's guaranteed either. I mean, you know, it's really a, it's really a con job. It's really a con, a con job. Huh. I think it's important. Um, here's an article, Helping Women Veterans Find Sheet Metal Apprenticeships. After serving their country, many veterans have trouble transitioning into civilian jobs, particularly younger female service members. The unemployment rate among all veterans 18 to 24 is 21.3% compared to civilians, it's 13%. And while male veterans have an unemployment rate of 4.2%, lower than the national rate, female veterans are much worse off with a 7.9% unemployment rate. Helmets to hard hats, the International Training Institute and the construction trades are trying to do something about that problem. So the unions are trying to help vets find jobs, and that's important. The two organizations are working to bring in veterans, particularly female veterans, into apprenticeship programs at 153 unionized and sheet metal and air conditioning industry schools across the country. Veterans get direct entry into the school and other benefits if they qualify. The International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers and the Sheet Metal and the Air Conditioning Contractors National Association are also partners in this effort. Catherine Kazanowski, a participant in the program, explained how her military experience meshed well with working in the sheet metal industry. Serving in the United States Navy prepared me for the physical and mental aspects of the sheet metal industry. The work is different every day, and the discipline I learned in the Navy helps me to get the job done. Larry Lawrence, field representative instructional development for specialist, said, although veterans have proven work experience, dedication, and discipline, they have a higher unemployment rate than the everyday person off the street at the same age group. 
This doesn't make sense to me. People with this military training and an honorable discharge should be able to get work. And so the union is trying to do something about that. And that's how unions honor veterans, by doing something to help them find work, which in a lot of ways is more important than anything else because it affects their life. You know, having one day where veterans stand up and you give them applause is great, but if they're not working and not feeling valuable, it doesn't really amount to much when they come back here. There is life after being in the service. Anyway, I've got uh, eight to seventeen. Well, while you're looking for something, no, I've got I've got a lot of good stuff. I just um, the jobless rate dips to five point eight percent, with two hundred and fourteen thousand new jobs added in October. So that's pretty good. Yeah, well, the city of California just made it illegal for homeless people to camp outside, <coughs> even on private property with permission of owners. The city also closed public restrooms so they could hand out more citations. Sure, <laughs> better solutions. There are, because there are better solutions. It's amazing, huh? Mm. It's amazing what they do. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Well, where are the people supposed to go? I don't know. It's kind of, it's just like It's a sick world. And, you know, they're doing this everywhere. They're more and more and more. And they just said, where are they going to go? They're sending them somewhere. I don't know. They just don't know where they're going. Keystone Pipeline. This is really interesting. Takes the risk of China, gets the oil, the Koch brothers get the money in America, and the world get the pollution.
the result of natural scarcity, but of a set of priorities imposed upon the rest of the world by the rich. Consequently, the modern poor are not pitied, but written off as trash. That was said by John Berger. Pretty sad. Here's a, here's a really nasty thing that happened. I don't know if anybody follows this stuff, but, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, anti-Muslim, anti-Palestinian, big Jew, two things, okay? Uh, can't say anything bad about Israel or you get zapped. Katie Hopkins' latest Twitter post. Now, this is, this is interesting because it says, Katie Hopkins, uh, was, uh, some Fox News journalist or something, maybe UK journalist, uh, says anti-Muslim rant calling Palestinians filthy rodents lead to the call for her arrest. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Controversial well, call Katie posted a series of anti-Muslims I think, on Twitter. Katie Hopkins' latest Twitter post has led to calls for her arrest for stirring up ra- racial hatred. The former apprentice contestant posted a a series of anti-Muslim messages on her account after reports of the stabbing in Tel Aviv apparently carried out by an Arab man on two Israelis, including one that labeled Palestinians filthy rodents. Palestinians busy knifing Israelis. Two-stage solution, my arse. Filthy rodents burrowing beneath Israel. Time to restart the bombing campaign. Mm-hmm. Arab terrorists fired rockets into school and hospital. They brought down Israeli fire to their own people. See behind the picture, she wrote. And it isn't clear if the former reality star posted the comments herself or was hacked, although the offensive tweets remain on her account. I, I, I got a feeling she did it herself. All right? <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, it just, people like this should, shouldn't have any voice at all. But you know, they're, they're nasty, nasty people, and you know that's that's the way they are. But so are all Zionists, and so are all these people who support that murderous. Country. Supporting any kind of murder is terrible, and encouraging it is is unconscionable. Oh yeah. And just drumming up racial hatred is a yeah, terrible I mean, thing yeah, to do. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a Zionist lucker myself because it's an apartheid racist country, you know, and they've murdered millions, about a million Palestinians, all right? So it's like I don't have any pity for them. I don't not the Palestinians, mind you, but I have no pity for the Zionists and, um, and anybody who supports their regime. So anyway, anyway... Okay, in our regular feature, let me just add this. In our regular weekly feature, the union takes a look at the winners and losers for labor. The winner this week is the Oakland and San Laredo recycling workers. After a week-long strike led to the low-wage workers winning a contract guaranteeing a living wage and affordable health insurance. The runner-up is Arthur Kling III, the winner of the 2014 U.S. National Boilermaker Apprenticeship Competition. Loser? Fast-track supporters in Congress who are planning a sneak attack during the lame duck session while everyone else is focused on the election. Runner-up? Cornerstone Janitorial Services. 
for allegedly underpaying and exploiting undocumented workers. So that's the winners and the losers this week. Hey, just a note. Did you know that Monsanto is the creator of saccharin, aspartame, PCBs, DDT, Agent Orange, bovine growth hormone, and glyphosate, which have all been linked to cancer and other health problems. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and as far as the lame duck session of Congress, yeah. M. Pierce commented on this, uh, what I just read. Beware of the lame duck session and the new session of Congress. Obama wants a new huge free trade deal known as Trans-Pacific Partnership. And the Republican majority in the Senate, which is all for job killing, living standards crushing free trade deals, are biting at the at the bits to ratify any agreement. Labor will beware, stand firm. It's going to have to be our fight, and we lead. We cannot allow these disastrous job-killing, free-trade deals to kill our nation's life and prosperity. Obama is negotiating and wants these free-trade deals. Labor had best realized just who their friends are. Beware of Hillary Clinton. Remember her husband, Bill Clinton, stabbed Labor in the back for their support of him in 1992, ramming through NAFTA. This time, the stakes are even higher. There's so much less that America produces moral low-wage jobs, etc. Stand firm, know your enemy, and keep your friends even closer. So that Trans-Pacific Partnership, I'm terrified about that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the, the odd thing is is that, I mean, aren't, aren't we supporting Obama somehow or Democrats or whatever we're supporting? I don't understand what we're doing here. I can't uh, support, I, I can't I, I support that. No, I can't see a union supporting anything Obama's doing. But... You know, I, unfortunately, it's a, it's a mess. And Obama's, Obama wants this so badly because his backers are, are, are the big guys. They're the big bastards. They're, the, they're, they're all the corporate bastards, uh, you know. And, uh, you know, they, he, just, he just is all, oh, man, this is the best thing for him. Getting a Republican Congress. I think so. He'll get yeah. he'll get them to sign off on war yeah, and the Trans Pacific yeah, yeah, Partnership. Yeah, yeah. Two things because, that he wants. Because I mean, in base he's, Syria, he's pushing the sky.
NASA's file archives in uh, late October 2012. It should be a stark wake-up call for all that still deny the existence of massive covert weather modification programs that are coordinated by various governments around the world. This file report uh, outlines at great detail the existence of expanding U.S. weather modification programs as far back as 1956, a full decade earlier than that date of the document in question. A special commission is outlined in this document to coordinate the uh, multiple governmental agencies involved with U.S. weather modification programs, as well as the independent contractors and universities, which the report also mentions. It covers the management of international impact, uh, impact, legal and social ramifications, and species disruptions, biological consequences. Um, a rapidly increasing mountain of data makes ever more clear that mo almost none of us alive today have known completely natural weather. That massive covert um, uh, government program have been playing God with the atmosphere for well over 60 years, and perhaps even longer. In recent years, the scope and scale of these devastating weather modification programs have been ramped up so much that the entire climate system and biosphere is now hanging in the balance. The lethal nature of the ongoing geoengineering programs cannot be overstated. Life on our planet is in freefall for many reasons. But mathematically speaking, climate engineering is the greatest assault of all against life on Earth. Documents like the one uh, linked below uh, need to be shown to those that continue to deny the ongoing climate engineering reality. With each passing day, radical fluctuations of the weather continue to accelerate as a direct result of ongoing geoengineering insanity. Geoengineering must be brought into the light of day and to a halt. Those responsible for the climate engineering program should be seen criminals that uh, have participated in ecocide and genocide. The corporate media and the meteorologists that serve them must also be exposed to their part in hiding the aerosol spraying assault from the public view. Each and every one of us are needed to assist in the most critical effort to reach critical mass of awareness. Let's make every day count in this battle. I just want to see what the document is here. And uh, this was uh, dated 1966, and it's called the Recommended National Program in Weather Modification, a report to the Interdepartmental uh, Committee for Atmospheric Sciences. Now, this document is pretty pretty serious. And I wish that you would go to it. Um, but the only way you're going to get to it, okay, is through go to geoengineeringwatch.org. Again, Geoengineering Watch. They have it on their website. And uh, I don't know. It's just a sad thing. Just a really sad thing. Now, I remember talking about this. I wrote about this 2000. Uh, Global 2000 report, which was signed off by Jimmy Carter, signed off by Ronald Reagan, signed off by every president since, right? And that's where the um, Global 
population reduction of in, a, in as much as two thirds of the global population by the year 2050, right? And um, two thirds of the global population to be culled, killed. And the way they're doing it is they're doing it through geoengineering, wars, pollution, genetically modified foods, mm -hmm. you know, poor, you know, pollution of water, um, you know, uh, aerosol spraying of pathogens in the air. You know, we're just dying off. Guys, we're getting killed. We're getting clobbered. All right? And these bastards are still are making money off of us because they're creating these uh, pharmaceutical uh, cures in the hospitals and everything else to try to fight these these man-made uh, 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 wonderful uh, diseases, okay, and bioweapons that are being sprayed on us. So, folks, you know, you can't win. You can't win. And, you know, it gets us really sick here on this show uh, to think this is happening, and it has for years, and I read about it in my book, I wrote about it, talked about it, and, you know, we just can't say enough.
my union contract negotiations in 1999 and the WTO demonstrations in Seattle were really two sides of the same coin. It's all about power relationships. Who will decide how we divide wealth? At a, later meeting, at a labor meeting during our strike, our international president told a large crowd that most strikes in the past 20 years were against takeaways and not for new gains. Work has struck to keep what they had. Our strike marked a huge shift in our power relationship as workers. In our old relationship, our CEO had said employees were his most important asset. Our new workplace, relation, uh, workplace power relationship looks more like Walmart's approach, adapted to our high-end manufacturing industry. In the Walmart business model, every stakeholder should feel at risk, contingent, and precarious. The dominant stakeholder will extract gains from all other stakeholders that come around and demand more concessions. Productivity would come from the global supplier network. Any worker in any job can be moved to another country, either for a lower cost, a weaker civil society, or simply as leverage to play one stakeholder off against another. If that is global business's new business ethics, then the trade deals are creating global norms to serve that goal. The new system is working exactly the way it was designed. In 1999, most Americans gave our trade negotiations the benefit of doubt. The burden of proof fell on labor and the environmental protesters in Seattle and other cities. With years of lived experience with NAFTA, the jail scene in the movie looks more perceptive every day. We're not sure what the global trading system does, but we're against it. Fifteen years on, critics of our trade policy now have the benefit of the doubt. The burden of proof fails on the advocates of more NAFTA-style deals. Yeah, they haven't done anything to help uh, American well, workers. Well, here's another sweet deal for uh, you know lie and why another reason why no one should uh, should uh, shop at Walmart. Okay. Really? Yeah, Walmart. Made in USA televisions are allegedly made in China. I've heard that somewhere else. Yeah, well, they've been doing this for a while, you know. The Walmart suppliers are passing up Chinese televisions as assembled in the USA, according to a new Federal Trade Commission complaint. Uh, complaint. I wonder if it's the videos. I was going to think of the yeah. videos are the they, ones they made in America. They claim it's made in America, but. Element, oh, Element Electronics boasts of being the only American-owned and American-assembled television company. The flashy red, white, and blue packaging helps it do business with Walmart as part of the retail's quarter-trillion-dollar uh, Made in USA initiative. But according to a Federal uh, Trade Commission complaint uh, uh, filed Tuesday, the company isn't making anything in America after all. Instead, the complaint alleges that the Chinese made TVs arrive uh, to Element South Carolina assembly line in boxes adorned with a waving American flag and the slogan, America Matters, on the front and the phrase, Assemble in the USA, on the top. Element's employees on a screw plastic panel uh, install a Chinese-made motherboard, close the panel, and return the TV to their patriotic packaging so that they can be shipped out of Walmart, Target, Meijer's, 
Sam's Club and QVC. That depiction of Element's assembly process comes from a July article in Wall Street Journal. The journal article is the key evidence in the FTC complaint, which was filed by a nonpartisan nonprofit group called the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Uh, uh, AAM's blog had previously touted Element's electronics as an example of manufacturing jobs returning to the U.S., but in Tuesday's complaint, it asked the FTC uh, for an injunction barring Element from saying that their televisions are assembled stateside. A product uh, cannot be advertised as assembled in the United States according to FTC rules unless it undergoes a substantial transformation on U.S. soil. For, for, furthermore, the AAM complaint notes that the FTC rules offer a specific uh, example of an assembly process that would not qualify, and that example is strikingly di uh, similar to the facts as they relate to Elmer, uh, Element's assembly process. The example describes a computer built from foreign-made parts that then are put together in a simple screwdriver operation in the U.S., reminiscent of what the journal found upon visiting Element's South Carolina <coughs> facility. An Element spokesperson did not return multiple uh, calls uh, seeking comment on Wednesday. Element President Michael O'Shaughnessy told the journal in, in July that the company has plans to establish a more extensive and complex operation in South Carolina over the next few years as more parts start to be manufactured in America. And he also told the newspaper that the conveyor belts and other hardware that made up the physical assembly line in South Carolina were themselves manufactured in China and installed by Chinese engineers. Oh, yeah. Element describes itself as an American-owned company whose televisions are made by a Chinese conglomerate called Ting, uh, Tsingdao Tongfeng, uh, or THTF Global. Tsinghao Tongfeng. Yeah. But the, the, but the question of corporate ownership is murkier on THTF's global website, one page of which refers to the element uh, varyingly as an owned brand, a self-owned brand, and an affiliated brand. Uh, let's see, a uh, separate page about element on the Chinese uh, company's website uses the collective pronoun we to describe what customers can expect from us at Element. When Element first came to the state in 2013, South Carolina Secretary of Commerce Bill Hitt said the arrival was another sign that South Carolina had transformed into an advanced manufacturing state. Well, the same press release noted that Element was getting a $1.3 million infrastructure grant from the state in addition to unspecified tax credits for hiring workers. That grant program helps finance building uh, improvement companies uh, need to operate in the state. In this uh, particular case, the company was going into a building that had been vacant for five years. And the Commerce Department spokesperson uh, told uh, Think Progress that it needed some upfit prior to moving in. The state predicted Elements facility would create 500 jobs in the state. The nerve a news website in the state reported at the time 
but 250 of those jobs were supposed to be created in the first year. And the state officials were being tight-lipped about the details of the taxpayer-backed incentives for the project. Mm-hmm. The journal reported that Elements employs just 185 people in the state so far. And the company tells South Carolina that it has 325 workers, according to Commerce Department spokeswoman Skipper, who recently attended a Walmart supplier settlement where Element appeared. Element will not be able to cash it in its per-employee tax credit until it reaches the 500-job goal it pledged out of the state in 2013. But, she said, but the state does not attempt to predict how much the credits will uh, ultimately cost. Can you read the last two paragraphs? Well, While Element's ownership in job creation deals are murky, the company is indisputably the key link in the serpentine process by which Chinese-made televisions are landing on Walmart shelves in boxes striped with stars and bars. AAM calls Element a poster child of Walmart's recent Made in America push, whereby consumers are led to believe that Element's televisions contribute to bringing jobs back to the U.S. Walmart's public relations push around American manufacturing is played out alongside stiff criticism of the company's habit of paying wages so low that its employees rely on taxpayer-funded public assistance programs to survive. Prior to heading up Element, company president Michael O'Shaughnessy was involved in another complicated, potentially scandalous business enterprise. O'Shaughnessy managed to get caught up in a Ponzi scheme as head of Polaroid in two other companies owned by Thomas Peters. Peters is currently in jail for running a $3.7 billion Ponzi scale over 14 years. O'Shaughnessy was never charged, but according to Minneapolis-St. Paul Business Journal, he has been sued twice by victims of, can you close that, Peterson... Uh, victims of Peterson's crimes who say that the $9 million in bonuses and fees that Element President received from Peters' companies while the Kalanzi scheme was running are ill-gotten funds that should be returned to victims. One lawsuit claims that Peters' fraud, fraudulent, that Peter's fraud succeeded in part because he paid exorbitant sums of money to surround himself with executive partners and friends who helped create the existence essential air of success he needed to build people, and identifies O'Shaughnessy as one example of those human elements in Peter's disguise. Calls to attorneys on both sides of the lawsuit against O'Shaughnessy were not Im- immediately turn- returned. Interesting, <laughs> I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. <coughs> we bought an element television. It didn't last long. No, it lasted, we had to replace it lasted it. about a year or two. Two it. years, I think. Right, it, it broke right it after that. Out. It just crapped out right after the warranty. Yep. It just crapped right out. It wasn't worth fixing. Uh, Here's something about fast food employees. What working in fast food could be like. Imagine you have a job where you get the full 40-hour work week you want. You have affordable health care that meets your needs. You get five weeks paid vacation, paid maternity and paternity leave, a pension, and overtime work for working after 6 p.m. or on Sunday. 
You get your work schedule four weeks in advance so you can plan your life. And your employer can't send you home early without pay because business is slow. You have a union that is well organized and fights to make sure your rights are protected. After you pay your rent and bills, you can still put some money into your savings account and still have money left over to go out and have a nice evening. And you know that if times get tough, the savings you have been able to put away will help you through. Now imagine that job is in a fast food job. That's the reality in Denmark, where fast food employees are paid $20 an hour, and the country hasn't fallen into anarchy. Giant fast food chains haven't gone out of business, and working families make enough money to live their lives without worry about being one paycheck away from poverty. Now imagine a bunch of rich people on TV and radio tell you that you can't have that Danish scenario because Denmark is different and smaller. But with no explanation as to how it is different or how being a smaller country makes it possible to pay workers more. That's the reality in the United States where corporate interests fight for paying fast food workers a uh, fight against paying fast food workers a living wage with vague excuses and warnings that never seem to pan out. They haven't even really made the case that the fast food companies in Denmark are less profitable. Everyone says they assume that Denmark fast food companies are less profitable, but no one shows the numbers. Certainly McDonald and Burger King know much how, how much their locations in Denmark make, what they make for profits. Why are they so mum on the topic? We see from Denmark that it's possible to rerun a possible fast food business while paying workers these kinds of wages. The critics are right about one thing. Fast food is more expensive in Denmark. A Big Mac, for instance, costs about 80 cents more. When the person buying the Big Mac gets paid $12 more an hour, on average, they can afford the 80 cents and health care, and child care, and clothes for their kids. Uh, well, here's another big problem. AT&T is sued for reducing speed of unlimited data plans. Sorry, folks. Hmm. All right. Um, it says the Federal Trade Commission announced on Tuesday that it is suing AT&T for showing slowing down the data speeds for some customers who thought they were getting an unlimited data plan. Well, after some customers exceeded a certain amount of data during a billing cycle, AT&T slowed or throttled the customer's internet speed, uh, the agency said, uh, claims. The company has misled millions of its mobile customers, uh, charging them for so-called unlimited data plans that we're in reality not unlimited at all, Edith Ramirez, a spokeswoman for the FTC, said during a call with the reporters. Uh, the FTC said that AT&T did not adequately inform customers who had signed up for the company's unlimited data plan that their speeds would be slowed if they used a certain amount of data, um, which was sometimes as little as two gigabytes during a billing cycle. And... Uh, Streaming one hour of Netflix and HD can use up as much as three gigabytes. Wow. The uh, agency alleged that in some cases, AT&T slowed the data speeds of some of these customers by more than 90% per 
preventing people from being able to stream movies, load websites, or, or use the phone's uh, GPS functions. And the FTC said 3.5 million customers have been throttled 25 million times. Whoa. Can you imagine that? <laughs> the freaking AT&T. Man, these guys have been, they did this continually. In fact, they were sued before because they were saying that we had high speed when we had actually low speed, remember Right, that? I remember. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, and they do this continually. And they're, you know, we're AT&T users, and that's the only reason for that is because there's no competition here in this area. And, uh, you know, they they were billing, uh, you know, ridiculous bills, signing as ridiculous bills constantly every month, and we started to complain. And the minute we complained, uh, you know, they started to reduce the bills, okay? Uh, and it was like, you know, it's just their way of, of making the bucks, you know? They do it until somebody complains. We informed all unlimited data plan customers via bill notices on a national press release, they said, that resulted in nearly 2,000 new stories well before the program was implemented, Watts wrote in statements to Huffington Post. From 2007 to 2011, AT&T was the only carrier in the U.S. to offer the iPhone. The company stopped offering unlimited plans in June of 2010. Customers who had Previously purchased unlimited plans were grandfathered in when they signed new contracts, though the FTC said they weren't informed that they may be throttled. Hmm. All right. And the FTC said that AT&T got thousands of complaints from customers who said their speeds were slowing down. When AT&T went after people who canceled their service, the agency said, when customers cancel their contracts after being throttled, AT&T's charged those customers early termination fees, which typically amounted to hundreds of dollars, the FTC said. Mm. As phones and, and apps have become more advanced and wireless networks have gotten faster, consumers have gobbled, gobbled, by, have gobbled up increasing amounts of data. The average mobile customer in the U.S. used 1.4 gigabytes per month, in 2010, according to Cisco, the networking equipment company. That figure is expected to increase to 9.1 gigabytes per month. Wow. In mm -hmm. uh, response to increased data consumption, wireless companies have vowed to tiered uh, data, uh, have moved to tiered data plans, which offer a fixed amount of data each month. If a person goes over their plan, they have to pay a penalty. AT&T said that the throttling has to do with managing network congestion. There is a finite amount of spectrum, and more people use it, the slower it gets for everyone. But Ramirez told reporters that the throttling had no particular relation to the network's congestion at the time. It looks like AT&T is trying to push people into more expensive plans. Um, uh, said, uh, you know, consumers have been complaining about throttling for years. And we're glad the feds are going after companies that are ripping people off. We think the millions of customers have been affected, and we hope to put money back in their pockets, Ramirez said. So anyway, that's interesting. Huh, Lila? I thought so. AT&T is continually ripping us, everybody off. That's not right. Ah, God. Alan Watts says, I like Alan Watts. He says, going out of your mind at least once a day is tremendously important because by going out of your mind, you come to your senses. 
sooner or later. Yeah. It's interesting. Ask me, uh, this is an interesting Ask Me article. Uh, NBA, please read, NBA legend and UCLA basketball standout Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Recent piece on the exploitation of college athletes and their need for union representation. It says, without the power of collective bargaining, student-athletes will have no leverage in negotiating for fair treatment. History has proven that management will not be motivated uh, to do the right thing just because it's right. Unions aren't all perfect, but they are have more than more to bring about equal opportunities and break down the class barriers than any other institution. That's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He says, when I played basketball for UCLA, I learned the hard way how the NCAA's refusal to pay college athletes impacted our daily lives. Despite the hours I put in every day practicing, learning, and plays, and traveling around the country to play games. Yeah. yeah. They take advantage of everybody. Anyway. Um, our time's almost up. Larry, you got anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's pretty good. Okay. Mostly it was the midterm election news, and we went over a lot of that last week. You know, people have to deal with who's elected, and, you know, look for the things on the Internet that you care about. Here's uh, here's something interesting, a thoughtful thing. The Great Consciousness Swindle. Why philosophers will never find consciousness, and why they secretly don't want to. As someone who writes regularly on aspects of brain and consciousness, I recently received a large amount of correspondence from people wondering what I think about the new article linking consciousness to quantum gravity and cellular microtubules, and how this model could offer proof of the soul's ability to survive outside the body through some kind of non-local quantum hocus-pocus. Well, even though this theory is presented purely as an exercise in theoretical mathematics, because it was suggested by Roger Penrose, a lot of respected mathematician and philosopher, many people have jumped to the conclusion that this theory is not only correct, but that it somehow proves that consciousness is eternal, immutable, and can travel in and out of the body like a soul. Well, my personal take on the theory is that it is garbage disguised as science, and not only is it wrong, it perpetrates a myth of consciousness that philosophers have been using to mislead gullible believers for centuries. What is the myth of consciousness that Ted Rose is perpetrating? Well, the central myth of this theory is that consciousness is a thing, and that consciousness exists in some place that we can't see. I call this the invisible mind model of consciousness. And the invisible mind model basically says, consciousness is so ineffable and mysterious that no material description is is sufficient to define its boundaries. Therefore, we must assume that consciousness is an immaterial, (coughs) or phantom uh, presence we can locate or measure trapped somewhere inside the organic machinery of our body. This model is also known as dualism, which claims that in addition to the material body, there is also an immaterial mind, spirit, and soul that inhabits the host. The great feature of dualism 
as far as I can tell, is that dualism claims the mind and spirit are immaterial and invisible, and therefore can never be accurately measured or described. And here is where the great swindle takes place. If I can convince you that something invisible exists like an invisible mind, but I also say it is immaterial and can never be measured, then I have just made myself an expert in something that does not actually exist, but also cannot be disproven. In academia, this is called philosophy, but in layman's terms, this is called bullshit. <laughs> I do not have a degree in philosophy, but I have a PhD in bullshit, and I can always smell it a mile away. And this theory of consciousness smells like it to me. Uh, I think that's fine. But anyway, that was from, uh, what was that from? Chaos Dynamics. <laughs> uh, that's the way we're going to end the show tonight. So, I hope everybody had a good night. And uh, what can I say? That's the end of that. Right, Lila? Yep. Okay. So, uh, good night, everybody. Hope you had a good yeah, enjoy yourself. Thanks and, uh, for being with us, and we'll bring you more union news next week. It was a little thin this week due to, I think, everybody. So, anyway, have a good night, and we'll talk to you maybe tomorrow. Take it easy. Easy. <laughs>